Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. As a serial entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know the easiest way to make $2 million? Um, I I heard this recently. Are you going to say it? I mean, it's so absurd that I f- don't know how else to start this podcast for the new year, except with something silly. Who was that guy? I don't know, man. Some bearded dude on TikTok who's just like, the easiest way to make $2 million, buy a company for $8 million, sell it for 10 Cool, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, thanks for that truth. Yeah, the easiest way to make two million is buy something for eight million and sell it for ten. Right. Wow. So think about that. Deep thoughts. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to move right on. Yeah. That guy's a smooth-brained idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, happy new year, Mike. Happy new year, Mary Jane. It is uh, a brand new year, 2023. We are um, very excited to be done with 2022. We are. Yes. Why? It was a dumpster fire. Personally or or like uh, worldly? Uh, but, uh, no, not I, personally. I feel like I, I, I got through it. And so I'm proud of that. But um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, what a wild time. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to move on. Ready for a big year full of, you know, I mean, this is the thing we always do every new year to ourselves, right? As we tell ourselves that this year is going to be better, but this year is going to be better. But I think that is like reasonable. If I think about the life that I've lived and I look back and I look forward it's increments. Mm-hmm. It can't all be at once. It, but if I can incrementally do the things that I believe will benefit me and put a more positive like energy out into the world and give myself a little bit more success, right? Uh, I'm trying to think long term and think big. Right. And I think those increments are are like entirely possible. Yeah, I, it is sort of a magical thinking too, right? Like you have to convince yourself that you're you're going to try you're going to do things differently this time around and that it's going to go better for you. It will. Yeah. Speaking of magical thinking. Yes. I will get into it in a second, but what up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? Great. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everyone. This is a podcast about comedy. Cannabis. Cooking. Culture. Calling shit out. And uh, documentary filmmaking this yeah. week with our very important bud. I like him so much. Andrew, Andrew Jenks. 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 <laughs> That's how we end it, too. Wow, what a full circle. We're in the pocket. <laughs> So magical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to ask you if one of your New Year's resolutions yes. is to stop checking your mail every time you walk by it, regardless of date and time. What time does my mail arrive? It. it I don't know. I've been walking your dog with you at 11 p.m. Yep. And then I see you check your mail. I check <laughs> I'm my like, mail. Why are you checking your every mail? Every time I walk past... I like I I go up the front steps to the path to my my little back house that I live in and I pass that mailbox and it just flips open. I don't need a key to open it. So I can just pop it right open with my left hand as I'm passing by. Mm-hmm. I have to check it every time because I truly don't know what time my mail comes and I had you were with me recently. I had checked it 5 times that day mm-hmm. and I checked it truly at 11 o'clock at night and there was fucking mail in there. <laughs> it was so funny cuz there was, I was mail talk- in the mailbox and you always make fun of me and I was like, "Look, when did this arrive? Because we've spent enough time together that I we both know each other's idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. And so we'll like we'll do a walk and talk for business stuff with your dog, Archie. Yeah, stoned and walk and talk is the best way to get anything done. Smoke love a joint, stoned walk and go talk. For a walk. And every time he pees, whether it's right or left, I love, by the way, shout out to Archie Moo, your dog. Yeah. Ambidextrous pisser. Okay. Very impressive. He yep. can lift either leg and hit that spot. He can do it well. Steph Curry of uh marking his territory wow and um but every time he after he pees he puts his leg down and licks his lips you're the one who pointed that out to me i had not remarked on that and then every time we walk back to your house you open the mailbox and do a (laughs) swipe with your left hand feeling for mail and i started talking shit to you yeah because i was like there's nothing in there it's 4 p.m there's nothing in there it's 10 p.m and then 11 o'clock at night there was a late night mail drop (laughs) listen my mail carrier and I actually, like, we are, you know, nodding acquaintances. He's a wonderful person. I just think he works weird hours because I see him in the afternoon and I don't have mail. But then I will come home very – maybe it's, like, getting delivered to my neighbor's house and they're putting it in my mailbox late at night. I don't know what's happening. No, because that says that he's not good at his job and he's obviously working he's so crazy late job. shifts to get it all done. Yeah. He's, like, yeah. 
I just think he's, yeah, he's working 24 hours. Do you think there's a shortage of mail carriers? And so his probably. vicinity is so large that he's really putting in 12-hour shifts? Yeah, probably. I'm guessing there's a shortage of mail carriers. I couldn't believe that you had shit at 11 o'clock <laughs> at night. It was unbelievable. It is. I did have a, like, I, I'm not, I don't, I was never diagnosed with um obsessive compulsive disorder, but I did feel like there was a touch of something there because I was like, am, am I actually able to walk past it without checking it? And I've discovered that I'm not. Mm. And I also just today when I was on my way here was rummaging around in my kitchen and I was kind of running a little late. So I was doing it really quickly. And I like opened a cabinet door, grabbed something out of the cabinet and then was like running to the front door. And then I stopped and I had to go back and I had to close that cabinet door before I could leave my house. I don't like leaving cabinet doors open kind of because it's like poltergeist shit. Like if I come home and I have cabinet doors open, I feel like there's like a ghost is, right. you know, been in my house. Why? What? I My mail checking is very different than yours and so i'm very curious what this says about us as people mm -hmm. like i feel like if our guest today wanted to do a documentary about like types of people who checked their mail <laughs> what a boring documentary that would be all right well that's why i didn't pitch it <laughs> while he was here <laughs> but uh -huh. what i like to do is i open my mailbox mm -hmm. i see if there's anything pertinent and then i close it and i just let it build up with a bunch of bullshit Nightmare. and then i scoop it all out and throw it in the trash oh my god yeah so like i might actually get my mail out of the box once a week but i only pull out the important thing and then i leave the rest in there for me to handle and deal with another time your poor mail, mail carrier like having to like navigate that fucking stuffed mess yeah well i what mark <laughs> what mark's what? good you hate that <laughs> stink eye what do you yeah yeah that's I, insane yeah i just let it build and build and build almost like you know, uh, like me not bringing something up emotionally that I need to talk about. I just let it all build, 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 Yo. build until it explodes out and of the you, box. You never open that mail. Just like you don't open up your emotions, Mike. Exactly. You clean out your mailbox and cry more. This is a resolution I'm giving you for 2023. Is what? Open all your mail and cry. <laughs> Damn. Not at the same time necessarily, but just both of those I think would be freeing. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. What actually. advice would you give me for 2023 resolution? Leave it alone. You don't need to touch it all the time. <laughs> and stop crying? And stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah, if we can have if we can have a moment where both of us cry while holding our mail, I think that will have done a good thing this year. Yeah. I mean, I cry while holding my mail all the time. Listen, it's, it's a <laughs> regular so occurrence for me. <laughs> That's so silly. Um, well, we have such a great interview with Andrew today. I kind of want to just get to it, but um we have, you know, a couple things to hit before we we release our conversation. Yeah, well, really quick, check out Sumo Snacks, everyone. Yeah. Go to sumosnacks.com. Get yourself a free sample of these delicious chips. They are savory THC-infused chips. They're all different kinds. They have like uh, classic cheese, which are kind of like Cheez-Its. Um, Uncle Snoop's line of Sumo Snacks are like um, onion uh, chips, kind of like Funyun style. But not Funyuns because we don't want to get sued. That's right. So they're um, delicious THC-infused uh onion crispy flavored rings <laughs> and uh they've got nacho cheese they've got salsa verde they have all sorts of flavors go check them out at sumosnacks.com you can get a free unmedicated sample sent to you and also if you're in california you can just pick up a bag yourself and take it to a party and be a hit yeah one of my favorite things about them um besides just i love a good chip that tastes delicious mm -hmm. is i'll do like a handful of them and they'll kick in really quick yep. and the high is um energetic and euphoric okay so i feel good like my body feels good from the high i get from them and that's always nice because there have been like other edibles that i've had and i uh i always know it's a roll of the dice you know right 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 yeah there are some that i definitely only use for sleep but these are definitely great to like eat and hang out yeah you know? this... eat and chill eat and go to a party yeah, yeah. oh bring them to the movie theater take them to a picnic yes yeah Oh, go, well, it's going to be nice soon. Go to a outdoor movie theater. What do you mean? It's going to be nice soon. It's you, January. Well, it's we live in LA. That's true. It's always nice here. Yeah. And 70 and perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I also wanted to uh, just do one quick shout out, if you don't mind. Two quick shout outs, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, when this episode is being released, I think the next week... Friday the 13th is my album recording. I've been doing stand-up for six years. I have a bunch of jokes that I'm proud of, but it's time to put those babies to bed. So if you happen to live in LA, Friday the 13th, I'm recording my special. Uh, Mark, who I talk about more in our interview with Andrew, um, is going to be directing it. And um, there better be tickets on sale by now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so please, please, if you live in LA or you know anyone who lives in LA, um, I'm really proud of 
what I have for this hour. And um, it comes from the heart, and I think it's pretty funny. So please check that out. Fucking great. I'm so excited to come to laugh, to have a great time. I, uh, you know, have been watching you develop some of this material over the course of our friendship. I fucking love it. And uh, I'm excited to watch you put those jokes to bed, tuck them in, give them a little kiss, Mm -hmm. put a little mint on their pillow. (laughs) Say thank you so much. Close the door quietly on your way out. Yep. And then release it as a special. Hell yeah. No, it's fucking awesome. I'm stoked. I I love so much of, uh, I'm just excited to see it. Thank you. And then the week after that. Oh, no, not the week after that. Um, February 5th, we will be in San Francisco that whole weekend, actually. Um, if you want to hang out and you're in San Francisco, hit us up. But on the 5th at 4 p.m., we are doing Weed and Grub Live as part of SF Sketchfest. It's a sick lineup of comedians besides the two of us. Yeah. And we have a link in our bio. You can hit that link and buy tickets. Come see us. Come hang. Uh, we're going to be, you know doing some cool weed and grub live stuff hopefully we'll have some fun giveaways and um i don't know i'm just excited to like do some live shows this year with you you know get out on the road a little bit yeah alaska alaska new york where's your dream live show for weed and grub morocco (laughs) i just really want to go to morocco um my dream dream live show for weed and grub would be a new york show yeah for sure this year i love new york so fucking much and i miss it all the time and uh, the buzz of that city is just so incredible. I love being there so much. And, you know, especially with all the, you know, legal weed coming online there, I think it's just an exciting time in the city in the cannabis world. So it'd be great to get out there with a live show. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I know your mail is, what time is it? 12, yeah, go 15 at night. So <laughs> I know we got to wrap up so we you can get go get your here. mail. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Shall we? Shall we? Um, this is a really cool way to kick off the new year. Yeah. We've known Andrew for a while and I've been just so excited to get him on the podcast and it was so great to like sit down and chat with him about his immense body of work. And um, yeah, it's just a great hang. And to everyone listening, um, I hope that you had an incredible uh, end of the year and all we want is the best for you in the new year. So whatever your vision board, whatever your tarot cards, whatever your goals are that you wrote down, please write them down. It goes such a long way to actually making them come true. Yeah. Uh, here's to all of you, all of our buds having an amazing 2023 as well. That's right. Um, we should give him a little bit of an introduction, even though you set it up at the top of the interview. Andrew is a documentarian, a filmmaker, uh, award-winning podcaster, he hosts a high school film festival. Uh, his talents have no bounds, and um, I'm also proud to call him a friend. Wonder Kid Prodigy. That's right. Auteur. Yeah, yeah. an auteur. <laughs> so without further ado, here is our interview with... Andrew Jenks. You know when you're seshing with a friend and you get that familiar feeling? You mean that feeling when all is right in the world? Well, that and also cotton mouth. Oh, yeah. When your mouth feels dry as a desert and you can't drink enough water. Yep. Well, Xylodent is here to help. Xylodent helps soothe your cotton mouth and it freshens your breath. Xylodent is all natural and sugar-free. Xylodent tablets are vegan, kosher, and made from non-GMO xylitol. They're easy to chew and come in a ton of tasty flavors like peppermint, pomegranate raspberry, and cinnamon. I love how long-lasting that flavor was. The relief from my cotton mouth was lightning quick. Try it yourself. Go to xylodent.co and order yours now with free shipping. Get 25% off your purchase with code WEEDANDGRUB25. That's xylodent. X-Y-L-I-DENT. Like dentist. Xylodent.co. Go to xylodent.co and use code WEEDANDGRUB25 for 25% off. Say goodbye to Cottonmouth and hello to Fresh Breath. With Xylodent. Goodbye, Cottonmouth. Uh, Andrew Jenks. Yes, sir. We're here, finally. Finally. Yeah. In uh, person. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've been um, all been Zoom pals, I think, for the better part of this year, if yeah. I remember correctly. That's we, right. We were Zoom pals for a long time before we met in person. It's the way of the world, guys. Yep. It is. And then we uh, sent that PJ, that private jet to New York to get you here to be on the pod in person. So thank you for making it. It was a little, um, the PJ was a little small for my taste, but um, (laughs) you know, whatever. Whatever. (laughs) You know, that podcast budget. We'll get there. Right. (laughs) How do you, do you like to be, do you even like a label before I give a proper introduction? Like, do you like documentarian as a label or is auteur like where where do you oh because it, it's i think both are true uh i would both are both work for me yeah 
great because you yeah. are an auteur. Yeah, I guess you never. I would never be like I am an auteur, but if you want to describe me as such, I'll take it. I do. Great, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, prolific auteur documentarian. Wow. Yeah, for real. I'll tell my mom that later on. <laughs> I dig it. Where do you want to begin, Mary Jane? I mean, at the beginning, I got to say, because I preparing for this chat, I was familiar with so much of your work. And then I did a little digging and I was like, I only scratched the surface. There is an iceberg amount of your work because you started so young. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and also because you're prolific, as Mike was saying. So like, I guess I want to just get into like how, how it all began with you. Start from the beginning. Start from the beginning. Um, Wow. Well, I guess in some ways the beginning is when I was 18 years old and I was at NYU and I really didn't like it. And uh, I really wanted to go to college and like make movies and really do things active. Mm -hmm. And NYU, which works for zillions of people and is not like was just a lot of theory uh, freshman year and a lot of talking about things. And so I didn't like it and knew that this thing called documentaries were becoming more and more popular. And I knew that you could make one with a, you know, shitty camera and, and you didn't need some big budget. So I was thinking, all right, the freshman after the, the summer after my freshman year, maybe I'll make a documentary and I can do it with very little money. And I'm talking maybe like a few thousand dollars, nothing more. And um, at that time, my grandfather was in a nursing home mm-hmm. and I, th- I was living in a dormitory with 219 year olds. He was living in a nursing home with 270 year olds. And I thought it would be really interesting for a 19 year old or someone young to move into a nursing home. I tried to uh, move into my grandfather's, but um, they wouldn't let me for a host of reasons, HIPAA violations. Why would we let a kid? I called 20 or 30 nursing homes and none of them would let me in. Um, And then one day I called uh, a nursing home in Florida in Port St. Lucie and Kathy picked up the phone, the general manager, I'll never forget, and said, huh, you know, a 19-year-old move that moving into our home, that's that could be a really good experience. That's interesting. And, di- and she didn't think what everyone else thought, which was like, oh, this might be a Michael Moore expose. Oh, right. That was the concern. Right. Um, and, and so anyway, long story short, um, moved there for five, five weeks into the nursing home with two of my friends, bought a couple cameras off of eBay, edited it in my parents' basement, and started to get into some film festivals. HBO ended up buying it. And um, that, I think, is kind of where it all um, began. What yeah. was the title? So the title is um, when you're, as you know, or not, I don't know about as you know, but as you can imagine, in a nursing home, you say, uh, you know, hi, my name is Andrew Jenks, room 335. Ah. So the title is Andrew Jenks Room 335. And in the movie, the movie is really, it's almost like the real world meets a nursing home. You really get to know the people that live there and what they're like. And and so um, that's the title. It's on Amazon, I think. That's so cool. Especially if you're, if you've never made a documentary and now you have the opportunity to make this documentary, did you come in with a point of view or were you just wide open to what five weeks living there would look like and you'll capture everything and then you'll find it in the edit for what you find to be most intriguing? Um, That's a good question. Um, I think like most projects, I went in with an idea and I think that idea with a vision of what it would be, which is like the real world meets a nursing home. That's how I thought of it. it was like these characters I can bring to life and humanize them and and um and i was never interested in it being an expose or or like and i probably could have found a way to do that like there, yeah. it, you know you could have made it about sex we have we have a great scene where we talk about sex oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah awesome yeah. yeah 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 and they're very it's very it's interesting i think anyway yeah um so uh i definitely have an idea but then as as you as you experience, 
there's this great line that um, this friend of mine always says, which is like, with documentaries in particular, if your story is the same at the end as it was in the beginning, then you weren't listening in between. So like the story always changes and evolves. And um, that's part, you know, that also is part of the process. And so since you made that, that how, how, when was that? How many years ago was that? Um, so I'm 36 now. Uh, I was 19 then. So whatever that math is. <laughs> 44 uh, years. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. So obviously that's 43 years. Yeah. <laughs> so you've done so much in the interim and I know you're working on stuff now, but one of the things that I'm most familiar with that I think some listeners will be familiar with as well is gangster capitalism, mm -hmm. which was an expose really. That's true. And um, one of the most, I was just talking about this with some friends the other night saying how you traced in uh, the season about Liberty University, mm -hmm. the rise of Trump, you sort of tied it to Justin Bieber tickets. Yeah, that's right. And it was just such a wild um, following of a thread and sort of like pulling apart the whole sweater moment. Yeah, right. Can you talk a little bit about like that, how that entire thing came about? Like what you decided to sort of just talk about the NRA in the first season, right? So the first season, which is kind of my favorite, to be honest, yeah. is uh, about the college admission scandal. Oh, the college admission scandal. That's and right. The reason that. Wait, is that the Lori? Yes. Yeah. Lori Laughlin, the, okay. you know, cheating on the SATs, bribing college admissions officers. And it was all run through this like ringleader, kind of the Danny Ocean of, uh, of college admission scam, this guy, Rick Singer. And so we got a tip. Um, we announced that we were doing the show, College Admission Scandal. I, as I recall, we got a tip that Rick Singer, the, the ringleader, was uh, swimming at a public school, every at a public uh, pool um, every morning. Mm -hmm. So we were like, well, let's go fucking like ask him what's going on here. <laughs> so we go down to Florida and sure enough, on the second day we were parked in this, in the parking lot of this uh, public pool, he comes walking out and if you look up Rick Singer, it's, it's on, it's online. Um, that was season one. Season two is the NRA. Season three was uh, Liberty University right. and Jerry Falwell. Do you get sued a lot? Um, no, uh, it's, it's hard to, it's, I've gotten threatened certainly. Yeah. Um, to, and, and uh, lawsuit, that sort of thing. Um, never one that came to fruition. Um, I've had certain things that, you know, have been problematic, but by and large, most of the projects that I've done, 75% are really like highlighting interesting, not as like underdogs that don't normally get a voice. And so it's, I'm not someone that's like going to get sued a lot because I'm capturing like a young man with autism or someone going through cancer or um, uh, whatever it may be. But, you know, not all the time. Gangster capitalism was kind of an escape from that. Yeah, because my follow up to that question is um, if I were to put a little bit of my own opinions about places like NYU, um, I feel like it's a place where you have to it's just building up your confidence to to do the thing you already want to do. Mm -hmm. And in your case, it's like, I don't need the confidence. I don't want to ask permission. Mm -hmm. I just want to make things. Yeah. Um, is that coming from like an anger at injustice? Is it coming from like, uh, I just love stories because it's it, it's fearless. Or maybe you're like scared shitless the whole time to go mm -hmm. up to Rick at a pool and be like, what mm -hmm. the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Like, is it, what's the drive to tell these stories? Um, boy, that's a good question. I mean, I think that for one, we live in such an interesting time and I got really lucky, you know, being born when I was born because I could buy when I was 19, a camera off of eBay that could function well enough to be presented as a documentary on a mainstream network. Like, um, I think, you know, I run a high school film festival because kids now have access to incredible cameras and can do amazing things. So it's only like, 
getting younger in, in a sense. Um, by and large, it's it's really cool for I I like documentaries and documentary filmmakers that are sounds so cheesy, but like pushing boundaries in some capacity. So I tend to like when they're using a different lens or have a style that because docs and it's definitely changing, but in the past had this stereotype. I mean, the word documentary is so boring. Like, it's just a weird, uh, you know, it's, it's taken, like when I first started this, people would be like a documentary. What, so that's what you do on your free time. What do you like, what do you actually do? And these days it's so much more common. Um, so I forgot how I got off on that tangent. That's my fault. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's how it goes over here. Yeah. Are, do you like Herzog? Are you a fan? Uh, for the reason that I just explained, yeah. um, I, I, I don't love every, I actually, yeah, I don't take to a lot of his movies. That's very subjective though. What, who, who am I to say that? But I fucking love that he's like always pushing things and trying to do stuff that no one else has done. And I really like his interviews. I, I before I made my last movie, I went on this weird, um, uh, kind of Errol Morris, Werner Herzog binge, um, not watching their movies as much as watching interviews they gave mm -hmm. and just hearing more about like why they do what they do. Watching them be interviewed That's rather right. than them interviewing other people. That's right. How, when you're, you, you developed your interview style, it sounds like sort of just by immersing yourself in a world where you were talking to people. Did you ever sort of like tr train yourself to ask the right questions or did like did you sort of study interviewing or are you just sort of naturally always looking to empathize with the person that you're listening to and draw their stories out i'm just um, interested to like because you could get people to talk yeah i've never uh that's uh, yeah no um i've never been trained in any kind of capacity um it's been learning but to be clear it's also working it's being able to work with really good people who can give me notes and, and like, I def, I definitely, I wish I were trained, you know, I think I'd be much better if I were trained. <laughs> um, but I've also like done a lot of self-studying and, and kind of watching other people reading how other people do it. And then like getting graded, picking up on great advice from, from different, people that you work with and like little things about interviews that you never I remember when I was like 21 I was working on something and I had this bad tendency in an interview where the per the person's on camera um once they were done talking I'd like a normal conversation then start my next question or follow up or provide a comment whatever it may be and um I'll never forget Michelle Sheefen came up to me and um, she was a producer on the show. And she said, you know, on camera, the the uh, the most interesting part of, of what a person says a lot of times comes after they're done talking. So you say, like, I killed I like, let's say it's me. And I'm like, I killed someone. Kind of the most interesting part is what happens after I after I kill someone. What's my face like? What am I saying? So she taught me to always give like five to 10 seconds after someone says something to capture what their what their face is after. Wow. And you never think of that shit like that. And I'm sure like if I were properly trained, someone out there listening is like, well, yeah, that's 101 and you know, whatever school. But um, so little things like that, that I've picked up through the years from an array of different people. That's so cool. That's wait, so wait, shh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're making me think about how I was listening to, I think I've said this on this podcast before, how uh, I was reading an interview with Elizabeth Banks, the actor, yeah. recently, and she was saying that she'd gotten a lot of um, critical acclaim for a particular role, and she credited the editor because the editor of the film edited it, that's really hard to say, edited it yeah. to show her listening all the time. Mm -hmm. It was constantly just showing her listening rather mm -hmm. than showing her talking. And she was like, so they really captured an entirely different performance of that. You know, it's so interesting to think that that would carry over, of course, to documentaries as well. Like, yeah, there's, I forget who said it, but someone compared, do especially with documentaries, editing, the editor is, is kind of like a chef where a great editor, you can give them a ton of footage. And even if it's maybe not that great, they can piece to get something pretty good. Yeah. 
um, a shitty chef you can give really great food to and they'll still fuck it up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, editing in in docs is like similar. You can you can change the whole story if you want. And do you are you the editor for much of your stuff? I have edited my first two projects that I did. And then since then, I've been lucky to work with editors. My favorite moment of that is in um, The Last Dance, the Chicago Bulls doc. And I think it's it's like either a trainer or an assistant coach or someone. And he has to take the whole room over. And he just looks so nervous because he's like, I'll do the clapper. And he's talking to all these people. And then they give him the clapper. And he's like, yeah, this is how you do it. Clap. And he's such a big presence right away that I'm like, oh, I know who this dude is even there you before. Go. That's a yeah. great example. Oh man, yeah. I can't I can't remember, but the last dance it's one of my favorite docs of the past 5 years. Yeah. Did you edit Dream Killer? No. Um an amazing woman named Sam um edited that. She uh unfortunately passed away, but was an amazing filmmaker, great example of where she I mean, honestly, I almost, she could have been the director. Like she watched down all of this court footage, all these interviews I had done and put together something that was really, um, that I'm, you know, we're proud of. Yeah. For, for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's a documentary following the story of uh, Ryan Ferguson, Ferguson, who was imprisoned because his friend sort of misremembered having committed a crime while he was dreaming and then they were both convicted on the strength of that testimony but neither Whoa. was guilty and you followed the whole story we through his dad's the, eyes through his dad that was the cool thing was um we th that movie took maybe three I, I don't remember exactly but probably like three years and we really follow the dad his dad trying to get his son out of prison yeah and the 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 many many years that he works on that and your documentary was sort of a piece of it, of getting him out, wasn't it, to some degree? No, I wouldn't. Uh, no, I, I'm sure some some. No, I wouldn't take credit. No, no. He he had an incredible lawyer. Mm -hmm. We we did our part in trying to raise awareness. Yeah. But I no. They he had an amazing lawyer. He had his father there with him, like doing finding evidence and digging up things. Um, we ended up doing a show. Ryan eventually got out yeah, and we uh, produced a show together called Unlocking the Truth, where Ryan and his kind of um, co-host actually did dig up information that led to someone getting out. So Ryan only have been out a few years after being in prison for 10, um, was responsible i don't know helpful it's yeah. very very helpful yeah i would say at getting someone else yeah out yeah, of prison yeah amazing guy wow it's just wild yeah. yeah were you watching those interviews of uh herzog and errol talking for your cabbage patch doc yeah i um because i left nyu early um i've always felt like slightly uneducated and not I don't know as much as I'd like to and so uh, I find I find myself um, trying to catch up by watching interviews on YouTube same yeah but I think the interesting thing I, I want to get to the cabbage patch documentary as well yeah. but I think the interesting thing is like today college for a lot of people I know feels like a scam when mm -hmm. the information is all out there for you yeah. to watch from these luminaries to steal a Mary Jane word. So, <laughs> you know, like uh, the idea of not doing that sounds crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, college seems like a, an, un, like a ridiculous proposition, but it also works for a lot of people. So like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you know, like rock and roll, if that's what, if that works you know, for you, I know, you know, so it's, I've always, yeah. Um, <laughs> not that learning has never served me, but doing has served me more. Right. I think, I think it also depends it. on the field. If I were a scientist or like an economist, you know, it's, 
obviously, yeah. Well, we I mean? can't even do math in here. That's yeah, right. I don't <laughs> so, even know what a dollar is. I mean, yeah. I truly. <laughs> we tried to figure out a sub- subtraction problem a Wait, bit ago, yeah. and it didn't go well. How? So we all have our strengths. 44 years <laughs> we came up with. So the Cabbage Patch doc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's your most recent project completed? Uh, so yeah, I did a documentary about the Cabbage Patch Kids, which were the famous doll that came out in 1983. Uh, and there were near riots over them in the malls. And so it's a documentary that kind of looks at two different things. One is what was it about the time? What was it about society? Why were people in 1983 acting like lunatics? And we go over a doll, an ugly doll, mm-hmm. a vulnerable doll. Mm-hmm. And so we get incredible access to all of the main players. They give their opinions. The second thing that the movie is about is a question as to who actually created the Cabbage Patch Kids. Because the guy who gets the credit and created Cabbage Patch Kids, along with help from a lot of other people... Um, probably made hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, Cabbage Patch Kids made billions of dollars. This guy, Xavier Roberts, who we interview, arguably stole the idea from this woman named Martha Nelson Thomas, who he had met years before. I'm not saying he did or did not. (laughs) That's for the documentary to kind of present and you you can kind of decide. Uh, It premiered at Tribeca and Film Festival and people had very different opinions. Um, Great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we are right now in the midst of trying to sell that and um, hopefully gets released this year. I cannot wait to see it. Yeah. I remember those riots to some degree because I was a little kid when the Cabbage Patch dolls dropped and I I never got one. Like my family just couldn't like secure one for me because they were, yeah, hot commodities. There was a concept behind, it wasn't just the doll that you were getting. Mm-hmm. Where, it came with the name, right? Yeah. Wasn't Xavier one of them? Uh, so every Cabbage Patch is, uh, is signed on the back, on the butt, Xavier Roberts. Wow. Oh, that's some cult shit, dude. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Where did, how did you hear about um, such a wild tale? Like, I... It, I don't know that anyone knows the backstory of Cabbage Patch. 80s toy tycoons. This yeah. producer, Dan Goodman, um, deserves all the credit. He he came to me with this idea, and his theory is that Cabbage Patch Kids were the first Black Friday that ever happened. Uh-huh. And I thought that was really interesting, but what I thought was kind of equally interesting was just this idea of who created this doll um, because it gets into a larger question of like what's inspiration was he just because he says he was inspired by her he, he admits to meeting her seeing her doll he says inspired she says copied mm. so and do um, you get to see her sort of doll oh yeah uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah oh I can't wait to see this yeah. Is she also, is she still alive? Is she interviewed? She passed away, but we have incredible kind of video from 30 years ago of her being interviewed, making a doll. We also interviewed her lawyer and her two kids. Incredible. Wow. Yeah. And a friend of hers too. When, when you, um, when you start in on a project like this, um, how, like, do you say like, Hey, I've got a pretty great body of work. You can trust me to a neutral party who just wants to tell a story or how do you get people on board to trust you and actually speak with you because i have had we've had dinner together and i'm like talking about my mom and shit and i'm like what am i saying (laughs) shut up dude like like you just have a very easy natural way about you that makes me want to share with you so like how do you it's true like i I left that dinner and i was like all right well he knows more about me than most people i guess like, <laughs> <laughs> so like how do you like how do you approach starting a documentary like this to get people on board to want to help you make it i think the biggest thing more than en- anything at all, like by a long shot is showing that you have done the work and the research and quite possibly know more about such said topic than anyone in the world 
Like I know so much as like I made a movie about Ryan Ferguson at that time. I knew more about uh, not his lawyer, but I knew a lot about, I'd read all the court. I'd like, I could tell you everything from what his habeas hearing, what happened in the third minute to like his favorite prison food. Um, so I go into, whenever I call someone, I have almost a playbook and a menu of, of options. And I think that that of options to talk about and questions to ask. So I think that's the biggest thing is just showing you're prepared. Um, because then if you, if you, if you know that much, um, they will at the very least open the door and hear you, you know, cause they're like, all right, well, fuck, you know, we'll hear this guy out. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I think it's, it's like a lot of listening to see what their priorities are. Cause sometimes people who are, um, you know, like, oh, are, are going to be on camera. What, what's the narrative that they want to tell and what does that mean to me? And does it conflict? And, um, so it's just a lot of listening really. That's yeah. very cool. It's hard for me to not have an opinion about it. So I'll just ask it with an opinion. I hate, I'm not a big fan of Michael Moore mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm being manipulated in mm -hmm. some way. Yeah. Um, but you're, you, you seem to have like an integrity about you. <laughs> Is mm -hmm. the only way I can describe it to like not push and pull me in different emotional directions. Mm -hmm. um, are you aware of that as you're doing those edits? I don't think manipulate is a bad word because when you're editing, you're manipulating, you know, so much. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, it's weird. You need to kind of manipulate to get the accuracy of the storytelling right um so it's kind of backwards in a sense but um i i do my very best to not manipulate because it's easy to manipulate it's easy to like say oh you won't look bad you know it's like no you you know in this moment yeah you'll look you're going to look not good. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sometimes why I put myself in front of the camera, like in a few projects, because I think it's so sensitive that if they see me being vulnerable in front of the camera too, they're willing to go there. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but. It does just because like, I didn't think about what the intention is behind you being in your own films. That yeah. The intention is largely, uh, it's a few different reasons. I think one is to make people comfortable. Two is that I know that sounds lazy almost, but I know that I have a character in myself that will have likely some kind of arc. Mm -hmm. So like I'm guaranteed story. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I've never thought about that, but just thinking out loud, I, I might regret this later, but I, I think that's one reason you know, I remember a big, uh, a movie that had a big impact on me, which may sound a little silly, but is, um, was, uh, Morgan Spurlock when he, um, ate McDonald's for a month. Super Size me. me. Yeah. I saw that probably freshman year of college. And I think that, that kind of immersive idea and he made himself the story. And he's the one who gets overweight and like, you know, and, and then was able to branch that off into other meeting other people and different topics. But, uh, I, I don't know enough. I haven't spent enough time really getting to know Michael Moore or his work to like really have an, a, a, a serious opinion other than I do. I would, I would wonder if he abides by the, like, the story changes as you go because he does seem to have a pretty set mission from the beginning and doesn't really alter like Fahrenheit nine 11. Isn't like, you know what, actually, as I investigated this, I like George Bush. Yeah. Can we talk about podcasts for yeah, a few minutes? Yeah. Uh, you, you had uh, gangster capitalism, three seasons. Also mm -hmm. what really happened. Yeah was a pretty long running show, right? Yeah, like four seasons, probably 100 episodes or something. It was fantastic. Peabody award winning. Yeah. 
uh, well, we, we didn't win, but nominated. Well, because I'm, I, I would love for our project to find a home. Tales of Substance. Yeah, I'm just going to call it out. I think it's a great idea. Um, I'm also going to give Mary Jane full credit on the initial idea because it was yours. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just, uh, I've been writing about um, weed and drug culture for so long, and it just felt like, you know. There are so many stories to be told outside of the sort of mainstream media narrative of like, you know, people who use drugs in any way are somehow um, to be dismissed or they should feel ashamed or, you know, that like there are so many stories to be told from from that vantage point. And then also when we met you, you were like, well, I'd also like to look into the aspects that are bad, that are maybe yeah. harmful or, you know, to, to paint the like a fuller, bigger, more holistic picture of all of it. Yeah. Not good or bad. Just here's the stories. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like not not. Yeah. Not necessarily endorsing anything, just talking to people in mm -hmm. different places and, you know, like sort of. I think we wanted to like do this sort of this American lifestyle of like, let's go into the communities and like hear the people, you know, tell the stories themselves to some degree. Yeah, exactly. That's how I, I think is the best way to frame it is this American life meets drug culture. Yeah. Right. Um, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of ground to cover. It's just getting like a sponsor or advertiser that can, get behind a show that's about drug culture. It's funny how it's still stigmatized in that yeah. sense, even when it's not pro or con, it's just a different dynamic stories that. I think know. a lot of those advertisers and sponsors um, are listening. Good. <laughs> I, um, but some of them want it to be all pro and others want it to be all con. Like they don't actually oh, want to hear yeah. the story for yeah. the sake of like the tales we're trying to tell. Yeah. It's it's what side of the line do we want our company to seem like is the right side to be on in this yeah, case, right. which I think is like a very tricky place yeah. for anyone to be. Yeah. I mean, there's very little ambivalence about drugs, right? You yeah. have a strong opinion one way or the other. But I think the main thing that I really see happening as I continue to write about it is that a lot of people are making a lot of money and a lot of the people who are making the money are not the people who have been most harmed by the war on drugs so you know let's just like continue to ask the people who have lived experience about you know what what their lives have been like and you know and, and put the people who are making money on blast a little bit too and you know try and look for some accountability because like it's crazy there are you know giant corporations that are trying to sort of like lock down the psychedelics right now it's wild and right. so it's really strange to think that you know we can't you know make a podcast about it that would hopefully get a lot of money behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a great deck for everyone listening. <laughs> yeah. It's sick. We have great stories to tell. Great it's episode true. titles. Great yep. episode titles. And, and a, like a wealth of stories. I mean, there's never ending. No, it's incredible. That was what I was most surprised by is just how many stories there are. Yeah. I think that's the thing too, because it's like, that was a question that I was asked. I was like, well, how, you know, how, how far can you go with that? And it's like, you walk out the door and throw a rock and you'll hit someone with, I just had this crazy story come to me where I was walking my dog with someone, uh, like my dog met someone else's dog and we mm. walked alongside each other for just a few blocks. We didn't know each other at all. And out came her story of um, benzodiazepine addiction randomly. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, you know, yeah, the least does. likely people or the in the least likely moments. It was just like a dog connection. And then we were talking about that. So I don't know. I feel like it's very relevant and timely. Where do you see documentaries? Like, where are they now, in your opinion, if you are aware, if you're not just focused on your own projects? And then where do you hope with the way the future is happening that documentaries can go? Because I feel like it's one of the only places of accountability right now. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's a problem. Because uh, the one thing that I'd look out for in documentaries, and I'm... I may be guilty of this in the future as well is be aware of whether or not the subject, the person in the documentary is also producing it. Like I always, sometimes people will say journal, will, will say I'm a journalist and I always like, I'm like, Oh, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like I, I, I'm a storyteller, not, you know, I, and I, and I do documentaries, but I'm not a journalist. And um, I think 
that if you look at the last dance, for instance, um, it, they, they hide it in the credits, like literally it's not in the credits, but Jordan was a producer on it. I didn't know that. Yeah. And Jordan like, uh, looks like, as like, like in the man there, uh, you know, in it mm-hmm. I, and maybe, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I just don't know what impact that has on a production. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it could be nothing. Um, like I'm working on something now that we're about to probably pitch where the main guy in it is also an EP, but I'm going to do the opposite where I'm going to make it so super clear that it's actually part of the story him being like, it'll. so I think with documentaries, re- that's one thing that I'd be on the lookout for is like, um, you know, there's a lot of like letting the subject be a part of the producing and, and fee structure and these sorts of things. Um, and I'm not, I'm actually not saying one, there's one way or another, but I just think uh, it's a little complicated. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of um, like lobbyists in politics, right? Where, where all of a sudden, like, Ted Cruz or anybody follow the like, money, right? Follow the money, yeah. right? Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It makes yeah. me think if there's a there's a, a group right now that is um, talking to lawmakers about um, forming cannabis regulations, mm-hmm. and it's fronted by people from the cannabis industry, like the former czar of Colorado cannabis, and you know people who are just really respected by the cannabis industry, but the whole thing is backed by big tobacco and alcohol. Oh wow! And um, but it's hidden. You wouldn't yeah. know. Yeah. And um, big tobacco and then, is funding. And then policy? once you know, you're like, oh, so they're trying to there's it's a lobby. It's a lobbyist group. But it's just like that. Follow the money story of like, look, look at who's behind the whole thing. And then everything will look real different. Yeah. And you have a bigger idea, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a better idea. Right. Interesting. Of, right. Well, what uh, I have a pitch for you. Yeah. Can we do a documentary about kale? What's the what's oh. the what's the log line? Um, did you know that the entire um, idea of kale as a superfood was manufactured by one woman? One PR person. Really? Named, oh, she's got a fantastic name. She's a New York publicist and her name is Oberon. Like, yes. Um, Lightning strike. It's, yeah. But anyway, yeah, she just like kind of identified a, a gap in the market and then kind of single-handedly, like she founded like the American Society for Kale. Oh my and God. then- <laughs> Oberon Sinclair made Oberon kale famous. Oberon Sinclair. And I like kale too, which is crazy. You do? Yeah, I love kale. Really? Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good place to go into food as we wrap up. Yeah, let's let's wrap with some food chat. Yeah. Um, love so kale, huh? Kale. <laughs> I'm not really a foodie, so maybe that explains it. Yeah. Is that is like is kale sort of just like a go-to because it makes you feel good? Like a kale Caesar kind of situation, or are you juicing it, or what's going on with your kale consumption? Well, I'm not like if I had a choice in uh, a type of salad, I'd go with kale. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeking out kale to the extent that you're <laughs> suggesting. <laughs> you're not like juicing it in the morning for shots when you get up or anything. No, no, okay, no. with a lemon vinaigrette or a Caesar dressing for that salad. <sighs> I mean. The non-Caesar dressing would probably be a little bit more healthy, right? Yeah. So for that reason alone, I should probably fucking choose that. Yeah. Um, is there any dream project that you actually could not get off the ground or you're still working to get off the ground that you're like, man, oh man, I just think this is an interesting tale. It's just in my back pocket and it, it yeah, just I has mean, fallen a million. Apart. How really? much time do you have? Yeah. I yeah. mean, um, I saw this great short film uh, called Woodhood uh, a few months ago. So there's this program in New York City called Camping to Connect. And every summer for a few weeks, a few weeks, um, they this program takes kids from inner cities, some of them kind of, you know, dealing with bullying or different kind of issues, not all of them, Um, but by and large, these, these 12 to 17 year olds, I think have never, um, really experienced the woods or being outside camping. And so they take, um, 
I forget how many, but you know, probably like 10 or 12 kids camping and these kids' lives are like changed. I mean, I don't, I don't know about every single, but like, you know, that their whole lives are kind of open up and they get to experience nature, which also helps with mental health. And they're outside of the city and the noise and the craziness. And, um, the kids, a lot of them are, as they would say, are from the hood. And so they started calling this the wood hood. Mm -hmm. And so the wood hood series would follow, um, you know, kids eight episodes on this kind of journey as they try and climb a mountain, not like a huge mountain, but a mountain. And, um, that project is like, I'm hopeful we're still in the midst of pitching it, but there's not a lot of places a show like that can, can land. Um, so I have a ton of projects that, uh, are tricky, difficult for whatever reason to get off the ground. That being one that comes to mind. That sounds awesome. Be yeah. dope. Yeah. That sounds incredible. I yeah. feel like it would be so universally, like, doesn't everyone want that show? It's weird that it's tricky to land somewhere. It feels, yeah, it I mean, so I'd love, hopefully in a year, I'm singing a very different tune and I'm like, yeah, all these places love that show. But um, <laughs> so far, the reaction has been like, awesome project, not that many places this can go. Mm. Wild. Is that, do you think, because of sort of how people want to sell, app, like Tales of Substance can't attract money necessarily because people are weird about drugs. Does that, show, do you feel like that about Woodhead? It's people are like, how do we make money off that show? Is that part of why it's tricky to land? Yeah, for them, which I disagree with, but a lot of buyers would probably say it's not loud enough. It's not a reality show. It, it's unscripted, but it's not a reality show. It's more mm -hmm. of a doc series and it's like nuanced and intricate and have you know um this is what other people are saying i completely disagree i actually think it would could be quite loud and you're seeing you know kids really experience like big profound things like is it a reality show where people are like slapping each other and you know i think you know i i guess i kind of get what they're saying but i i don't know i don't really, mm. you know. it's like stranger things isn't has it might be a weird example, but I kind of put it on this. It's a coming of age adventure story. Woodhood is. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, that'd be one. Wow. Awesome. My final question is going from that first doc you made where you, did you buy or rent those cameras for? Um, we bought them off eBay. You bought them off eBay. Yeah. To the things and the access and the creations you're making now, when it is Woodhood, when it is Tales of Substance with Cabbage Patch, what is the like range of money somebody may need to make either their first documentary or do the big picture things that you're able to, um, those stories that you're able to tell now? If you have a cell phone and a laptop, there's no reason you can't make a movie more or less. I mean, maybe a documentary I'm talking more specifically with some, some favors for sure. But my first movie, I would venture to guess it was less than $5,000. Um, it was primarily cameras, um, tapes. Uh, we bought a bunch of tapes cause we filmed a shit ton. And then, uh, um, were you doing like reel to reel editing where you had to like, no, it was DV, mini DV mini tapes. Mini DV tapes? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so gas and then the nursing home let us stay there for free and let us eat there for free. Um, so now these days, you know, your average doc, I'm, I don't know, maybe like $2 million. Whoa. You know, it's not a lot. Truly. That's when, probably on the high end too. Cause then you, can, I mean, I say that and I'm sure I don't, I probably should. I, I, I don't know if that's the average. That's right. more of maybe the high end. Mm -hmm. Make a doc y'all. We're doing it. <laughs> we're making a, every day we're doing this on this podcast, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's being a storyteller is, you know, I just took a storytelling class. I have a friend uh, who's a monologist named Mike Daisy. Mm -hmm. Um, and he just taught a storytelling class and, uh, it was just so cool to be in a class with people. It was the tradition, like oral storytelling, not writing anything down, not, mm -hmm. not trying to like get it right or record it or rehearse it or anything. And so I was in a class with 11 
there were 11 of us and to watch Mike sort of lead us all through telling stories from our own lives and seeing like these 10 strangers on a Zoom once a week for five weeks and really like mm -hmm. just becoming so aware of the fact that, you know, like if everyone could figure out how to tell their own story a little more mm -hmm. or, or, or have the confidence to sort of take up the space to tell their own story a little more, I think the world would be a little happier, you know, because like I think so many people right now are just feeling stifled and unheard and upset. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, the more that you can sort of like tell your tell your own story or trust someone like you to tell your story, mm -hmm. it's I think it's making the world a better place, honestly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to think of it. That's interesting. I do feel like it is one of the last places and right n now more than ever. Now more than now ever. Now more than ever. Mm -hmm. um, In I'm these times. <laughs> desperate to find anything that feels true. And yeah. some people are saying true things. Mm -hmm. And documentaries is one of the only places I know that I'm going to be able to draw my own conclusions without anyone Without me going on Twitter and saying, like, I love Fritos and somebody else being like, actually, Fritos fucking suck. And right, here's like right. the reason why. And right. Like, oh, my right. God. Right. Yeah. 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 Podcasts and documentaries. Like, that's definitely what I've turned to in the last few years to keep me company. You know, which speaking of, is there anything that you are super into right now? Is there any books? Is there any movies? Is there any any uh, anything at all that you're just geeked on at this time? So anyone that I want to, like, give any kind of shout out to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like mine this week. Yeah, yeah. Why don't yeah, someone else start? It's actually our producer. Oh. Mark in the other room. Yeah. Because he's directing my stand-up special. Oh. And it's coming out right after this episode drops. Fantastic. So my butt of the week this week is my director, <laughs> Mark, who is the producer of this podcast. And if you're looking for a place to do podcasts, come to Petty Cash Studios. That's right. Oh, wow. That there nice. you go. That's awesome. My... But of the week is Raul Beneja. He's one of my classmates from theater school. And he has just been doing so well at winning awards and working on so many things. And he just did Hamlet Solo, which is a one-person Hamlet at a festival in New York. And he got Best Actor uh, of the whole festival, which is an award that's also been given, I think, to Ian McKellen. So he, wow. he stands with the greats right now. And uh you can follow him on Instagram at Raul Beneja. And yeah, he's just an amazing actor. So look for him in cool stuff to come. So I made, we spoke briefly about this documentary. I made Dream Killer, which follows Ryan Ferguson, who was wrongfully incarcerated for 10 years. And um, he comes to mind because I just saw him the other day. We went to a Ranger game. He has a great podcast for those looking for other podcasts. It's very like, how do I describe it? Kind of a, well, whatever. It's a great podcast. It's called Prison Counts. And it's about him and a, and someone else that he was locked up behind bars with. And they talk about life behind bars. Like what your meals are like, friends, gang, like the whole, not, all these little things that you would never think about. Um, and just a great guy. No self-pity. Never like, why me? Why did I end up? behind bars for 10 years for not doing it, you know, without doing anything. So that he would be my butt of the week. Awesome. We'll add that to the show description as well. Fantastic. Yeah. And then for yourself, I mean, you're always on social media. You're just constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how would you like to plug yourself and everything so people can either find you or um, everything or what that you're you doing. make? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I am on, in, I guess, you could go to Instagram at Andrew Jenks. Perfect. Yeah. J-E-N-K-S. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Some people might go J-I. Yep. J-I-N-X. Ooh. Jenks. Yeah. I mean, when you put in Jenks in wor word, it jerks is what it goes to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, Thank you so much for hanging yeah. out. Thank you for having me. Of Thank course. you so much. This yeah. has been freaking awesome. Totally. I'm waiting a long time to hang out with you in real life on this pod. So thank you. Great. Awesome. Um, email us at wgweedengrub.com. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, give us a review. Give us some stars. It helps us get the, our podcast into more ears. And thanks uh, for hanging with us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. Happy New Year. Yeah. Hope that your uh, 2023 goes swimmingly and all your dreams come true. Bye, everyone. Bye.